I'm so excited to finally bring you this episode of Not Your Mother's Podcast. Why? Because it's one I've been setting on for a long time, not for a good reason. I've just not gotten around to it. I'm telling your stories. So quite a few of you over the past couple of years have sent in your stories and said, hey, for the most part, we want to remain anonymous, but we want to tell you about our time within the IFB. Whether it's something fun and anecdotal or it's something about how the IFB really screwed up your life, these stories are poignant, are helpful, and I'm really, really excited to, to share them with you because I think they can help a lot of us kind of process what we've been through and kind of identify with someone else that's been through something similar to what we've been through. Now, I will give you this warning, as I often do, this episode is chock full of some very, very graphic content, very graphic information, stuff that I wouldn't have the kids around for. You do you, it's up to you, but there will be cursing here, and there will definitely be some graphic content that you might not want to have the kids around for. At any rate, I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. I think you'll be helped by it, and I'm certain you're going to identify if you came out of the IFB or some other similar cult. I'm certain that you're going to identify with some of the stories that we shared. So dive in. Let's get into this episode of Not Your Mother's Podcast as we talk about stories from the IFB. And uh, Please feel free. I'll talk about this more later on. But if you have a story and you haven't submitted it to the podcast or to my personal Facebook page or drop me a text or an email, by all means, feel free to do that. We want to tell your stories as anonymously as you would like. But that's something that we want to continue doing, and we're going to build on that from this episode. I'm going to tell as many as I can, and uh, unfortunately, I'm going to insert my commentary uh, throughout the stories, but definitely something that we want to continue doing and keep telling your stories. I know there's a lot of uh, different pages that are promoting, um, in a good way, you know, uncovering the IFB, and uh, there's a lot, of, a lot more cases coming forward these days. So I definitely want to hear from you if there's something, a story that you want to tell that's your own. And whether you want your name told or not, we want to tell your story. So, so I want to say, gosh, it's probably been, um, you will see a dog here every once in a while. <laughs> I do have a dog with me today. Hi, Milo. You want to come say hi to everyone? Come here. Come here. Come here. Oh. He's super obedient. Yeah, come here. There you go. This is him. Say hi, Milo. I'm going to turn his face. Say hi. That's Milo. Okay, now I need you to get down, please. Thank you. Very obedient, too. All right, so there's a dog here with me. I'm just going to address the dog in the room. He's a great dog, by the way. So um, I probably, it might have been three years ago. I don't know. No, 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 because we haven't had the podcast that long. But it's been a couple years. I put out a request for you guys to send us your stories. And uh, stories of just a specific instance uh, of something that happened to you inside the IFB. Even a funny anecdote. Or, you know, more likely than not, which is what most of you sent, kind of a, a, a tale of your time, entire time in the IFB and the issues that you had with it while you were within it. So I'm going to start reading those stories. I'm going to get through as many as I can in this episode, but I will have a lot to say. And I want to hear from you guys. I know this isn't one of those live episodes where we're interacting back and forth in real time, but I still want to hear from you guys. I still want to hear what you had to say. I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear your thoughts on um, these stories and some of you are going to recognize these stories i'm not there i'm only going to name one person um and i won't even name them by by name i'm just going to say you know i'm going to say what i'm going to say about them but anyways uh you'll know who they are but i'm not really going to name anyone because the majority of the stories that came in requested that they be private um that they keep their names anonymous and we completely respect that here at not your mother's podcast we've had people before tell us hey 
you know, um, not out of spite that we know of, we, but we've had people before tell us, you do not have permission to use my story or my name, and by all means, you are the author of your story, and we want you to tell it how it needs to be told, and in the right time, the timing that's right for your life when it needs to be told. And so we very much respect, whether it's just a story anecdotal or whether it's a victim that's coming forward, we absolutely respect everything about them and everything about their story. For us to tell their story before them or in a way that's out of line just doesn't work with our mantra here. So without further ado, here are your stories. The story I'm going to lead with, I'm not going to tell the person's name, but it won't be hard to narrow them down. Uh, it is my sister, uh, and uh, she... I could be wrong, I need to double check this with her, um, but I'm going to say it anyways. I believe she wrote this for um, some type of school project, and she just kind of goes through what our family went through, and I'd like to lead with that, because this is a show that, you know, Talking Mother's Podcast is, is, uh, is I don't want to say my show, because I feel like it's all of ours, but um, I'm the one who gets to talk the most, thank you, and um, I'd like to read her story, and uh, it's not so much her story, like I said, as it is our family's experience inside the IFB, and I, I think um, I think it kind of is a good one to kind of set the stage for the rest of the stories we're going to tell. Like I said, I'm going to read the stories. I know, get to the <laughs> get to the thing. And that's all that's in my head now. I don't know if you, if, if, if any of you uh, subscribe to Joe Rogan, or um, actually I was told today that Charlie Hunnam, I don't know if I said that right or not, has a similar theory about not reading negative comments. Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a, I'm a huge fan of, has a different theory on it, but uh, I, again, I, I'm now kind of, everything I do, I'm like, oh, am I taking too long to get to the point? Because that's definitely a habit of mine, and now seeing it in some negative comments on YouTube makes me kind of worry about it, but I'm going to keep doing things the same way that we've always done them. Also, another reason why I like this Sinatra whiskey, I know, and now I'm really not going to get to the point, is <laughs> it has, you can see here the, the box, and uh, the bottle here has orange accents, and that's my favorite color. So, very, very, I'm, I'm not asking anyone to send it to me, but I won't be mad if you do. Um, but super, super delicious whiskey and a uh, very, very cool story behind it. Jack Daniels and Frank Sinatra go way back. So let me get to this story. I'll read it to you now. <laughs> of course, she starts with a Star Wars reference. A new hope, dot, 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 for cult survivors. And she kind of lays out what a cult is, and a cult is, and I really like this. Um, cults are an institution that exists almost without regulation in America. They receive tax benefits as religious organizations, but the abuses they inflict upon their members are often unchecked and vastly unreported because of the general intimidation tactics they use. I think we can all agree with that. Excuse me. I belong to one such cult that recently lost many members because of a sex scandal. This is how, excuse me, this is how most cults go. A sex scandal. Um, that became national news. The irony is that many of those who left had experienced worse during their time inside the cult. My own mother faced hideous abuse at the hands of her foster father and was discouraged from reporting the abuse to her foster mother. Pete and Frida Kalin, we're talking about there. Most who experienced abuse within the church were similarly stifled. My mother believed, as most did, that what happened to her was an isolated incident we were taught that protecting the man of God, M-O-G is like, like the, that short code, was more important in the scope of eternity than speaking up for ourselves. And that's a big part of of our of my experience, and I'm sure just cults in general, is, you know, it, this temporal plane, this, you know, this uh, physical life, the, 
the, the, the flesh, all of that, like, you know, don't worry about that. Worry about the great beyond. And whether there's a great beyond or not, I'm not getting to that. All I'm saying is this life does matter. And if you're being abused in this life, it really does matter. And it's, I don't care who it's by, but if it's by someone in authority of a man of God, I'm not saying it's easy to speak up about it, but it needs to be spoken up about. When my mother talked to her foster mother about what happened, she was told, if this continues, you know you can't stay here. My mother had left a, uh, and I, I love my, my um, her, her dad, my my grandfather, rest his soul, and her mom, I was actually just with uh, her mom, my great, I'm not my, Chloe's great-grandmother, uh, with my grandmother, Meeball, we call her, uh, Susie Tate, uh, this past Christmas, and it was great spending time with her, and I love her to death. But it was not a good home situation when my mother was a, an adolescent, and she left there for, you know, a, a new world almost, a, a new, new experience up in, um, uh, you know, up in Hammond, Indiana, uh, Crown Point area, and that's not what happened. So going from, these are my legal parents who I could live with, but I'm miserable, to these mighty, you know, uh, uh, you know godly people that uh, just, you know, they're amazing people, and now they're telling me that I can't stay here if things continue, it's ridiculous. And I should tell you that this, I know I keep interjecting into the story, but that's not something that I'm going to do for every single story. It's just I have personal history with this one. Excuse me. Man, that's good. Uh, so that's why I keep, you know, flooding into my sister's story. Um, so my mother, Katie, had fled an unhappy home life to become a member of the growing IFB cult. And IFB stands for Independent Fundamental Baptist, but don't be fooled by the mainstream religious-sounding moniker. If you walked into any IFB church service, it would be impossible to confuse it with a mainstream Baptist church, and that's absolutely the truth. Uh, someone shared a um, post today, I think it's called Baptist Memes, from a pretty big Facebook page, and uh, it was a great uh, meme that featured um, Stephen Anderson, fried chicken, and Phil Kidd with some... Um, uh, Confederate flag um, hand wraps. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. Anyways, yeah, Baptists and independent fundamental Baptists are two completely different animals. Absolutely. You may hear, and you may disagree with me, and that's fine. I don't expect you to, to have to agree with me. The dog is back. Uh, I'm reminding myself now of uh, Mr. Jeffrey Dollar. I don't know. I'm, I'm interjecting again. Uh, but Jeffrey uh, has his own type of podcast, and... <laughs> I really hope Josh Owens gets a chance to listen to or watch this because we've talked about Jeff. He actually has reviewed uh, my podcast, our podcast, uh, Nine Mothers Podcast, and the episode with Andrew Gall. It's not so much a review as it is him just wanting to say his own thing, which I respect and good for him. But um, now I've got a dog walking around and, and making noise. And Jeff, I'm not making fun of you, Jeff, if you see this. Um, I think you, you have very valid points, and I think you're trying to do the right thing and help people. I really think that. Um, I don't know that. I think that. But, uh, and he was very kind to us. There was a lot of things he could have been really mean about. And he certainly wasn't. Uh, but he has, I don't know, Jeff, if you see this, feel free to send me a message. But um, he actually has, I think, a cat and a dog that get into a scuffle in the midst of what he's talking about. So it's completely off subject. But I had to point it out because I wanted to kind of poke some fun at him. And here I am having the same uh, type of thing happen on my podcast. So you may hear... The minister, this is if you're in an independent fundamental Baptist church uh, service. The minister preaching on his favorite subject, the evils of women in britches. Yeah, 
uh, or that the King James Version of the Bible is the only Bible inspired by God. You may even hear some Baptist history that has been completely falsified. Having our history whitewashed is one thing, but dropping all of the Baptist uh, BS on top of it is another. It is, there's a lot. There's a lot. And we grew up in that. Myself and my sister, um, the church where we attended Christian um, uh, grammar school, junior high and high school, it was um, run by, and rest his soul, James Beller, um, but he was very big on Baptist history, and just a lot of it is, is a lot of falsification. I'm not saying he falsified anything, because I think he was going up with his best um, guess at a lot of this stuff and doing his own research, and the guy was obsessed with it, and I understand why. But, like, there's a lot of Baptist history that's complete bullshit. It just is. Um, all right, back on track. Uh, the IFB branch my family was involved with could be said to have been started in 1959 when Jack Hiles took over the First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana, after being kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention, con, con, sorry, Southern Baptist Convention for reasons that remain unclear. Uh, Jack Hiles built what would become known that in its day as the largest Sunday school in America. I mean, he bragged about it, so yeah. And he did say it like that. And led an enormously loyal group of followers. My parents were two of them. My parents, like most of the now ex-cult members I have in encountered, came from highly dysfunctional homes. My mother was lured from her broken home by the illusion of community and safety. She says she was too naive to have known to know that there would be bad people in the church. And that's that's a general I'm not saying all churches have bad people, but there's bad people everywhere. So to, and this isn't against my mother at all, but to think there aren't bad people just because it's a church, I think a lot of people tend to go with that mindset, but that's just not the case. There's bad people everywhere you go. Excuse me. And that's not, and, and, and don't get me wrong on that. That's not to get in the conversation of, uh, I, I, one of the things that drives me up the wall when I say insane, but I'm not there yet. One of the things that drives me up the wall is these people that when I or someone else I'll see on their feed, mostly on social media, or on one of our podcast episodes, we're talking about the IFB. That's what we're talking about because that's what we know, that's what we come from, and those are the people that we're trying to help, whether members that are trying to leave or people that, are, that have left and, and don't know what to do next because leaving a cult is a traumatic thing and knowing what to do next is very, very difficult. So, continuing on. My mother was lured from her broken home by the illusion of community and safety. She says she was too naive to know that there would be bad people in the church. My father, oh yeah, that's what I was talking about. What frustrates me is when we're talking about the IFB and then people want to go into, oh, but there's also pedophiles in the Catholic Church. Yes, everyone, that's not, I'm not being dismissive of that, but everyone knows that, at least everyone that's, on this train of, hey, there's, there's pedophiles in the IFB. So I, I don't want to be misconstrued or confused with those that would want to uh, diminish the damage that the IFB has done just because the same damage is happening in other places. So I want to make that clear. Uh, and then my sister goes on and says, my father was lonely and insecure and looking for a purpose when he was introduced to Jack Hiles. He looked like a superhero. He looked like Superman to me, he says. They loved me because I was eager to please and hardworking. That, and that's all they want. My father attended Hiles Anderson College, which is not a real school. It is not. When he graduated, he labored tirelessly as a, at a small church for 15 years. I was a part of that labor. He did. 
He and Katie never achieved, my mother never achieved the IFB standard of success, though they, though they continue to strive for it in decades to come. The mantra of the fundies, as many survivors call them, is above all else, loyalty, as Ray Young would say. As he say again, loyalty. Jack Hiles used to say that his staff members were innocent until guilt was admitted, meaning that accusations didn't hold any water with him. He wouldn't investigate wrongdoing unless the, perpe uh, the perpetrator revealed himself to him. This was a great strategy for sweeping abuse under the rug. Max, my dad, says he was determined to defend leadership at all times and thus became very good at rationalizing. You have to rationalize so much intense stuff being a member of the IFB if you're going to stay, a, remain an active member. Jack Hiles died in 2001 and was succeeded by his son-in-law, Jack Scott. In 2012, again, this is, we all know this is the cliff notes, but this is, and, and this isn't to diminish what my sister's saying, but I'm not, I want you to know I'm not trying to skip over anything. Um, this is just what's written. In 2012, Scott was arrested when he attempted to transport a minor across state lines for the purpose of sex. And I could be wrong. I think it was more than an attempt. I do believe that he did do that. He may have attempted to do it again, but um, he wasn't necessarily caught in the attempt. Um, he was caught due to a picture message on his cell phone. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This event led to, sorry, this event led many to abandon the movement. For the question is, why would a sex scandal shake a movement that has been built on countless cover-ups? <laughs> the explanation is actually quite simple. We live in the age of information. More importantly, for cult survivors, we live in the age of connectedness. Since 2012, dozens of online communities have sprung up to help those who have been spiritually abused, finding healing and a way out. And by the way, if that's something that you're you're saying, well, what are you talking about? What are these online communities? We message the podcast because there are several, excuse me, that you could be involved in, whether it's just leaving a comment or being able to kind of reciprocate what's going on. We would love for you to be a part of those communities, uh, whether you are, again, giving to them or just receiving from them. It can be very helpful for you. Those who had experienced so much trauma and seen so much corruption were finally able to talk to the right people at the right time. And most importantly, people were listening. For the first time in the history of the movement, people who had been hurt were being heard. And rather than being told what was best for them by yet another authoritarian minister, they were given a safe space to work out their problems, surrounded by people who cared for them and understood what they had been through. This is very well stated. I mean, I am biased, but very well stated. Cults are still unregulated by our government. And that is likely to remain the case. But cult survivors, like Katie, our mother, have found their calling in helping others see the light and find their way back to normal. She's an admin on a growing number of online communities whose purpose it is to expose corruption in the IFB and provide survivors with a safe space. The work can be emotionally exhausting, but... As my mother says, it helps me live with the regrets of my past. She says it is part of her journey, and that brings the most healing because it gives her the opportunity to give back to herself as well as the people who she believes she hurt along the way. And I realize towards the end here, uh, this just sounds like me pumping my family, but I have the best family in the world, so why not? <laughs> at any rate, there I go. I'm on my head at any rate now. Um, but that is something that... <clears throat> has been key for a lot of survivors. Finding that right group, or just, it may just not even be in 
online community, a Facebook group, or a subreddit, whatever it is. It may not even be that. It may be a face-to-face. -face. There are, I shouldn't say are, on a day-to-day -day basis, there's one person, and I'm not trying to out anyone, but he's been a guest on the podcast before. But on a day-to-day -day or maybe a weekly basis, there's someone that I'm able to talk to. And it's not like, uh, you know, oh, can you believe Bruce Goddard said this? And, oh, my God, Eddie Lapina this. It's not always IFB stuff, but having someone, whether it's face-to-face -face or online, having someone who's been through a similar situation. And this person I'm talking about, we, we were in the same bus division in college. We went to the same summer camp, uh, same church summer camp. Um, you know, we, we, have, we both have... Uh, uh, backgrounds that kind of intertwine with California. So it's something that helps me to have that person to have, even if we're not talking about IFB, having that consistent contact with them is very helpful. So if I may interject once again for the gazillionth time um, into, into my sister's story, it's really important that you find, whether it's a person or a community or just some sort of an outlet for you, to be, and not just your Facebook page, because it's, it's very easy for us to bitch about stuff on Facebook. Very easy, let me tell you. Um, but not necessarily that, you know, not necessarily an outlet for negativity, but an outlet for you to tell your story or someone for you to kind of, uh, you know, what's the word, have that camaraderie with, that relationship with, or community, where there's a lot of you that share similar, not to be an echo chamber, as Josh Owens would say, but to have some kind of feedback and some kind of dialogue and conversation on a consistent basis helps you to realize you're not crazy. You just went through some crazy stuff. So uh, the next story, again, I'm not going to read no names, but um, this person says, My Hiles Anderson College story is rather embarrassing, but demonstrates the gullible nature of young people along with total authoritarian... I'm not going to say this right. Authoritarian teachings of IFP churches. I was the typical good Christian young person raised in the IFB, the perfect candidate to be molded into an HAC diehard, Howell Anderson College. Again, for those of you that may not know, Howell Anderson College is an unaccredited university in um, Northwest Indiana that a lot of us attended, run by the Chancellor Jack Scott at the time. Uh, now it's run by Dave Douglas, I believe, who I saw year, last year or year before last. I think it was last year. Yeah, last year, February. Me and my brother went and saw him and John Wilkerson, the current chancellor and pastor of First Baptist Church Hammond. Um, that's who's in power now. Excuse me. Go back far enough. Jack Howells was in power. Go back not quite as far as Jack Scott. Um, I was very sheltered, this person says, by my parents and pastors, slash youth pastors. I went to college at 17, and as crazy as this sounds, I didn't discover. Now, let me take a quick break. I, didn't, I don't know if I'll say this at the beginning or not. But there are going to be some explicit things in this episode. So not to be unkind to anyone, but it just, it's not your mother's podcast, okay? So if you have your 12-year-old listening, I'm sorry, but that's on you. You let them listen to not your mother's podcast. I'll try to keep it as PG as I can, but if these stories outrage me enough, you're going to hear me say some naughty words. And also some of the stuff that's discussed is going to be sexual in nature. Why? Because sex was incredibly suppressed for all of us for so long, and I'm not going to get into premarital sex now. I might later, maybe in two or three minutes. But whether it's okay with you or not, whether it's okay for you for your children or not, that's entirely up to you. That is none of my business, and I have no say-so on that. But, but, <clears throat> the way that the pastors and the evangelists that we heard from on a consistent basis 
talked about sex very openly. Uh, their, their speech was sexually charged so often, and we were allowed to know nothing about it until the night that we got married, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. The fact that all that has happened has led to a lot of problems for people. And I'm not saying, you know, oh, well, you know, this is, this is why so-and-so has marriage problems. This isn't a gossip cast. This is a podcast. Um, so we talk about pods, right? No. But we, I, I want to make it clear that the IFB has created a lot of problems for people, not just sexu- sexually, but in relationships, whether it's marriage, dating, whatever it may be, because there's this incredible um, uh, thing around things, the best word to come up with, just this thing around sex where you just, oh, we don't talk about that. Pastor can say whatever he wants about how women look in pants and all these, you know, and, and, and talk about whores and talk about all this stuff. But I'm not supposed to know anything. In fact, my parents aren't even supposed to tell me anything. Why? Because the, the marriage bed is sacred and yada, yada, yada. All it does is create problems for you later on in life, especially if you get married inside the IFB. I can speak from personal experience, but I won't. <laughs> but especially if you get married inside the IFB. And now you've got to make it work with this person. And I give all kinds of props and commendations to everyone that has been able to make their marriage work post-IFB. There aren't as many of us, there aren't as many <laughs> as I'd like uh, that were able to make their marriage survive and exit from the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. That's very difficult. But my hats are off. My hat is off to you. Um, all right, so anyways, he says, I was very sheltered. And I didn't discover masturbation until after arriving at Howells Anderson College. As we know, sex, masturbation is taboo in the IFB and not talked about clearly. All I recall was Brian Cassidy yelling at us in 6.30 a.m. men's devotions that masturbation was a sin and asking us if we were gay because we were touching our penises. That says everything you need to know, but let me give you a little bit of background. So Brian Cassida, who is requesting on LinkedIn twice now, Brian Cassida uh, was in charge of the men's dorms at Howes Anderson College when I was there and when this person was there. And uh, he, you know, was very, he wanted to be very outspoken and very adamant and almost flamboyant in a way to where we respected him because he was so kind of wild and out. I remember one morning him uh, pulling out a trash bag a black trash bag and dumping the contents out on the uh, on the on the platform of the Wendell Evans Auditorium, and I guarantee you, if Wendell Evans knew that had happened, he would be so pissed. Um, and I'm not again, I have nothing bad to say at all about Wendell, and I know he's not necessarily in, in the best health right now. Uh, so this isn't anything bad about him. I'm just saying bad about Brian Cassida. But what he dumped out was what you'd find in any guy's dorm: some Limp Biscuit CDs and some Lincoln Park CDs. And probably some Green Day CDs and some Blink-182 CDs and some porn, some Playboy, some Hustlers. I'm not going to get into the porn discussion right now. There are two sides, maybe more than two sides to it. And I don't see invalidity in either side. But to do that to a bunch of guys that had never, myself included, had never seen, we'd never seen porn. We might have seen the JCPenney magazines, right? Or Walmart or Target or Kmart. But that's not porn. So you're dumping straight up pornography out in front of us to show us how bad we are. And, and, and really, you're just creating an incredibly traumatic experience. At the same time, he played, I don't know what it was, but whatever the heaviest music that he found in people's dorm rooms, he was playing that probably 
something metal. Um, he was playing over the speakers, excuse me, in the Wind 11's auditorium for all of us. These devotion sessions were nuts. We could do a whole series on how crazy, and the ladies too, I'm sure, um, a whole series on how nuts they were. But anyways, that, right, that, this just gives you some background what Brian Cassidy is talking, who Brian Cassidy is, and what was going on. Excuse me, this person says, in my young brainwashed mind, I felt so much guilt, and I tried to pray my sin away. Some months later, Ray Young preached in chapel about Jephthah's vow. He wanted something so badly from God that he gave up his daughter. He went on about what it is that you really want from God. What would you give up or vow to give God if God helped you succeed or give up if you failed? And I know I, I can feel this. A lot of you can as well, I'm sure. I can feel this in my in my innermost being of this making this deal with God and telling him what he'll give you or what you'll do. I really wanted God's help to stop masturbating, and I made a vow to God that if I failed, I would give half my bank account to church, which was about $2,400 at the time, way more than I had in college, so good for this person. As is human nature, I lasted about a month. I felt horrible and wrote the check. Wow. I'm not shitting on the person that wrote the check. Just great follow-through. I don't blame HAC totally, Hiles Anderson, as I should have had common sense and a skeptical mind. Yeah, but we're not raised that way. This is a good illustration of how a gullible young person is and how easy our brains were manipulated in this particular IFB cult. And you have to remember, most of us, <coughs> that from a young age, were involved in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. Most of us were very gullible, would believe anything. That's why... When I don't know what their registration is now. I know it's way low, but that's why when I was there, like there was, there was, it wasn't a university status. It wasn't, you know, Purdue or University of Michigan or Arkansas, Texas. It wasn't any. It wasn't on those levels. We still had an intramural football, okay? But there was a, a great number of us there, and it's because of so many of us are so gullible. And the tour groups would come through. I was a member of a tour group. I never missed a chance to, you know, uh, pump that. Uh, but the two groups come through, you go to youth conference, like it's all, you know, all exciting, super cool stuff. And then in reality, it's not, but we don't know we're gullible. So great story from that person. I'm, I'm grateful. Um, they are a, a fairly consistent listener to the podcast. So I hope I represented you well. I hope, uh, you, um, but I did well telling your story. Um, and then the next story, this is someone I, I'm not going to go into detail about these people. I, I just can't. But um, this is someone that I know, and uh, a very good person. Uh, very happy to see that their story is coming up next. The only time I ever saw D.C., so D.C. is Discipline Committee, so it was basically a minor infraction. You know, your room is messy. Um, you were out past curfew one time. Uh, um, stuff like that at college. Didn't land you in D.C. Got you offenses or demerits or... I think after I left, not long after I left, they started charging you when you did things wrong. They were hurting. They still are. Um, but discipline committee was, you really screwed up. You did something really bad, so you're going to sit in front of this panel of people like, and if you don't know who they are, that's okay, Bob Hooker, Brian Cassida, um, uh, Mike Borsch, right, uh, David Stubblefield. Uh, there's a few others. They kind of went in and out. Ken Scott was in there for a while. It's Jack Scott's son. If those of you don't know. But DC is... You're sitting in front of, standing sometimes in front of a board of men who are just there to intimidate the hell out of you, and it's not hard to be intimidated. Now, there are people that I went to college with 
who I don't mind calling out by name. Uh, there's not a lot of them. Um, uh, uh, I'm, now I'm struggling. Mike Sedlowski, who's been a guest on the podcast. Jacob Furlow, who I would love to have as a guest on the podcast. I worked at True Green with Jake in Hickory Hills, Illinois, and uh, he, he drove the car that I was in, um, the route that we had. And I was shell-shocked by Jake. I thought he was this wicked person because every Friday, and I'm just airing his dirty laundry now. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. Every Friday, I think it was Fridays, right? Um, someone drop a comment, Jake, if you can, and tell me. Um, he would have a meeting with Mike Borsch, who was the head at the time, I believe, of the discipline committee because he had done something. Who knows? He probably peeled out the parking lot. It didn't take much. But he had done something to get himself in trouble. And the only way for the poor guy to stay in college, not pouring money, just poor because that sucks, was he had to meet with this scary dude every Friday. But he didn't care. Uh, uh, Furlough just he didn't care at all. And I, I, that blew me away. And he was like, yeah, but with Borsch, it was no big deal. I'm like, oh, my God, like, that would scare me so bad. <laughs> but Jake, no big deal. Anyways, the only time I ever saw the discipline committee was for watching the Polar Express on Christmas Day. <laughs> I love the Polar Express. This is terrible. I'm so sad. Uh, with some of my roommates. <laughs> Josh Goddard, just so you can get triggered, <laughs> busted us. <laughs> this person knows me. Um, yes, Josh was my, I'll say this, Josh was my, um, I think it was my sophomore year for half the semester. He was my dorm supervisor. And he was a good dorm supervisor. He was a nice guy. He was good to me. He was good to my roommates. There's a lot of stuff I could have gotten in trouble for when I did it because of him. But, but. Josh busting you for a Christmas movie does not surprise me and does not exalt him in anyone's eyes. But I have a lot of stories from Rice Dormitory. Man, it was crazy at Rice, as you know, especially the first semester of my first year, 2004. We were both in the same freshman class. I was an only child. And my first experience with having another uh, other people live with me was being forced into it. Oh, he was in one of the end rooms, guys, the 10-man rooms on Rice 300. I remember um, Cheo Reyes drinking so much NyQuil <laughs> that he slept for like three days. And some of these stories are going to have some funny elements, at least to me. Uh, Jimmy Gatton trying to be cool by saying Tupac instead of Tupac. <laughs> the constant belt fights. Oh, yes, good slap with the belt. The boxing in Rice 3, yes. Uh, Eric Testy telling um, Phil, I can't pronounce the last name, to put on a shirt because he couldn't stop licking his nipples. <laughs> Again, some of these are going to be very anecdotal. All of us jumping from the top floor in bunks uh, in Jim Odegaard's room, busting the lights in Rice 200s. Yeah, I remember that. The laundry cart races, remember that as well. Stealing the bowling pin from the bowling alley and using the hall as a bowling alley. <laughs> I, I took these stories in a while ago, so I'm really kind of reading them for the first time. This is great. Duct taping one of the kids to Eric Tesla's store. Oh, and a streaking through the chapel and my roommate Ben Sawyer did that. Bringing McDonald's back from work and being the big man on campus. Yes, for a few seconds every night. I remember that very well. Remember, Steven Anderson, definitely crazy, has made national headlines as an extremist of our cult. Look into it yourself. Definitely some good content for your videos, he says. And yeah, definitely. We know who Steven Anderson is. The guy's whack. One of the first five-minute preach mornings, he preached on The Lion King. Yes, I remember this very well. Stephen Anderson preached on the Lion King and how Elton John sang it in such an evil and satanic manner. Um, all the five-minute sermons and all the sins and topics to cover, he, he chose the Lion King, released in the 90s, while we're living in 2004. What a dumbass. <laughs> That's a true. 
And by the way, he got booed mercilessly. I don't remember, uh, he said it was five minute preaching, so I don't remember if it was, I thought it was at a church ed class. Excuse me, it may have been, excuse me, it may have been during chapel, but I don't recall. But yeah, he got up and preached against the Lion King. We're all 90s kids. That's a terrible idea. We all, we booed the hell out of him. It was great. Oh, and the Spanish kid who jumped off the balcony in the cafeteria saying God told him to do it. I remember that. All kinds of crazy stuff. He was an exchange student. And the suicide kid who left a note under the soup store saying he had ingested five Tylenol because he couldn't get English. Most of my dorm years were pretty uneventful, except for when uh, Ben, and I can't remember, I don't know the last name here, kept on uh, picking on Jake. Um, and Jake was a little person. And he said, I've never seen someone get so whooped so fast by a little person. He had him and, and he had Ben on the floor and was on top of him, kicking his ass in like three seconds, just flat wailing on him. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is all for me at this point. The horrid part for me comes next, but it's tied to ministry work on the weekend. I was in Division 6. I remember thinking, if ministry is like this, I don't want to be a part of it. I was a soul winner before I came, ever came. Never miss a Saturday, but the schedule was so unrealistic, and if you did any less, you felt like you weren't a good soldier for Christ. Looking back, hardly any pastor or missionary I know actually works like that, but I was stupid and naive. I don't think this person was stupid at all. Naivety certainly played a role, but stupid, no. Um, I had some crazy expectations going to college. I thought it was just going to, and by the way, to speak to that just briefly, what he's talking about ministry work is, you know, we're, we're training to be pastors, to be missionaries, to be assistant pastors, to be evangelists, and so on and so forth. And But during college at House Anderson, man, if you got in, in, in specific ministries, you were working all day on Saturday. I remember you would get guilted for not paying the school bill of kids that someone else got to go to the Christian school. They got them to go. They talked them into it. They talked their parents into it. They talked these kids into it. Mostly City Baptist. So they get City Baptist. I love my friend Mario and I love you guys. But... But what would happen is you would get guilted into paying their school bills when you could, nothing wrong with paying their school bills at, at all, but when you couldn't pay your own school bills, you were guilted into paying their school bills. You were also guilted when we would have what, what we call a big day, so we would have, um, you know, we're just trying for high attendance at church, and so we're trying to get as many people as we can to come on our church bus. Well, when that's going on, some bus captains would take a day off of work on a Friday. Now, keep in mind, as much as you strive to be the best employee, and there was all these, you know, stories, mostly Phil Sally propagated, so probably not true, but all these stories about how great testimonies you were at work, we, for the most part, I do not believe that we were all as very good employees at all, or definitely not as good as we could have been. Why? Because we were sleep-deprived as could be. We were focusing on other things. We were trying to date, you know, and, and, and pay our school bill and eat. <laughs> and, and all of the above, and we really weren't able to concentrate that well on our work. And if we did, then we didn't do well at, at school or in our ministry. Anyways, all that to say, the ministry aspect of House Anderson was what drove most of us into the ground because it was just taxing as could be. Up super early Sunday morning, up fairly early Saturday morning, and going all day on Saturday. All day. A lot of us would get to our bus route around, I don't know, 10 o'clock noon on Saturday, and we'd be there till 8 p.m. We would close Chicago down. We would be there till very late at night, late enough that we were kind of pushing it sometimes to get back by curfew, which was, what, 10.30, I think? Anyways, the only realistic expectations put on us for ministry work 
was it was uh, it was just ridiculous at best. I had some crazy expectations going into the college. I thought I was going to come out a missionary or be some good pastor or just a super Christian. But of course, the messed up part is that I had to have my missus degree in order to do that. In order to even go, you had to pay more money than I could ever accumulate. So I never went on a missions trip, which I thought was very sad being in this college. I've dedicated, uh, dedicating my life to foreign missions and never being able to go on a trip. That should have worked into the tuition or something. Yeah, absolutely. If I had gone on a missionary trip, my life would probably be much different now. But I was innocent and naive. I'm sorry, this is the name person, not Mrs. Mission. I was an only child. I don't. I didn't even have any rock and roll music. I never listened to it until college. I came out more worldly than I went in. <laughs> same, same here. Uh, nobody in their programs, FBMI, HAC, ever talked to me in the four years about the next step, other than continuing to stay in college and get married, like I heard of church placement. But I never talked to anyone in four years being there. I was a nurse. This person is rough on themselves, and they should not be. I went to private school. Um, I didn't know a damn thing about talking to women, and I assumed I would never remarry. So you can imagine my frustration when I knew I would probably never complete the next step. So I just finished college. I did it. Came and went for four years because of my pastor and my parents. Part of me, when Scott talked about leaving, wanted to go. Get a degree in computer technology or something. But I stayed to make my pastor and parents proud. So many of us. My pastor did send kids to other colleges as well, Golden State Baptist College, West Coast Baptist College, but told me Hiles was the place for missions. At the time, definitely it was, and it was when we were there. But with the teams and all the exciting things that were happening, we had the Ghana mission, a whole lot of things going on, but I was overlooked at college. I was just a number to them, and I'm not bitter about it now, as I love my wife and my kids, but it's insane. I was an ideal candidate, but became far, far worse and was given no direction other than get married. If they were so spiritual, they should know something <laughs> like that happens in God's time. Can't be forced, but when they missed, what they miss is my potential without being married. All the good I could have done while waiting on the right woman. And that's a two-way street. Um, and I, I think, honestly, excuse me, for the women more than, guy, more than the guys, like you don't go to Hiles Anderson. You go to Hiles Anderson to find a spouse, for sure. That's a big part of it. But most especially for the women, that's it. They're not, and I'm not saying we got real degrees, but like, the stuff, that, the classes that we had made more sense, like motherhood and marriage. That was a class for the girls. What? What is that? So here I am, still in the IFB because of my family and my wife. And I love God. I know it sounds stupid, but I do feel connected to him. So that's not stupid. <laughs> so I'm not unhappy going to church. And my church is small. And this is someone else's story. I'm sorry. I ran into that too quickly. But my church is smaller and is not as you described with many of the churches I've read about. I've read about, although we're still very much IFB. My pastor is old, but he's been there all my life and genuinely cares about me and my family. He's taken me on fishing trips. We go out shooting and other fun activities and has helped us out financially, but he doesn't believe the stories about Jack Hiles and the cult we were in that we usually preaches at our camps. <laughs> That's Rita. I believe my church to be genuine. A lot like your family church. Probably used to be used to be listening to your mother in the first video. Okay, gotcha. Given different circumstances, like so many of you have, that you have read about on your page and everything, it's no surprise to me why you left it behind. And I've been tempted to do so, but I'm unwilling to lose my family for it. So I have to stay. And again, I'm not unhappy. It's been a long, crazy road. So this is another story. Some of the things that I remember from my time in the IFB cult. I remember being elected deacon 
And while I thought this was an honor, it turned out to be more of a curse, yeah. Along with accepting this position, I was constantly called on the carpet about something <clears throat> or another that I offended someone. Now, I'm not going to say this person's name. I actually think they're fine with me saying their name. I'm not going to say it, though, um, just out of, out of uh, respect for them. But the church that they're talking about, the pastor that they may reference, my dad worked at that church, as did I. And I know the pastor and his son uh, very well. And uh, they have been uh, incredibly terrible human beings and still are. One time after the Wednesday night service, my wife and I were in Walmart and saw one of the ladies from church there. I mentioned um, that... I mentioned that to her in front of my wife. How did you change clothes and get in Walmart so fast? The guy back to the pastor. I refer to him as uh, Randy in the lowercase because he's a prick. <laughs> Anyways, he's saying, like, he called someone out. I'm a deacon. And I was like, oh, hey, how do you change? Like, just making a joke because obviously that lady didn't go to church. Um, but that got back to the pastor that quick. I was accused of going out of my way to attack a church member and that as a deacon, I was to be blameless. You know, the qualifications of a deacon in the New Testament. I was livid. I talked to my wife and told her what was said. She was mortified. I was always being pulled into the pastor's office uh, to be chewed out for whatever reason. Yeah, Randy's big on that. It got old after a while, and I resented how that made me feel. The thing that brought me to the end of serving in an elected position was when I was attacked over my adult son who dropped out of Hiles Anderson College. I love that man. The guy that dropped out of Hiles Anderson was in my freshman class, and I'm a big fan of his. I'm not going to say his name. Um, but I'm a big fan of his little friends on Facebook and, uh, of course, Instagram. And um, I, I think he's just one of the greatest human beings ever. It was all over a MySpace post about him liking the taste of beer, which I don't like the taste of beer. <laughs> this is gross. Anyways, I, being the former member of the U.S. Army Special Forces, attacked right back. The pastor and his wife came over to my house to talk some sense into me. I stated from the get-go, get-go, that we were not going to discuss me being wrong for having the feelings I had. I said, they're my feelings, and I'm not wrong for feeling a certain way. For over four years, I was berated weekly, and it was an attempt to break me. You see, from the time I had been going to that church, I was told that if I wanted to serve in a position of leadership, I had to be at church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Tuesday evening, oh, we had Tuesday night church? Wednesday night, and Saturday night, oh, instead of Thursday, for more, Saturday for some morning, so many. When I... Uh, excuse me, when I first became a deacon, I worked Monday through Friday in a chemical plant. I was always uh, perilous for First Baptist Church of Hammond when we were visiting. I remember hosting a missionary from that place. The missionary had a rather large family. They were such pious gas bags, I think. <laughs> Maybe we should rename the, the, the podcast something to do with that. That's great. Um, that it wasn't funny. This, that's a funny title, though. They had like six or seven kids. By the way, this isn't anything against anyone ever at all. But that is a requirement. If you're going to be a missionary, six kids, no no less than six kids. And it's a joke. Anytime a friend of mine gets around the four or five kid range, I shoot him a text like, hey, man, you're going to Thailand soon. Like, it's just going to happen. Um, I asked him if he had ever served in the military. response, um, too, was appalling. He said that he was thankful he never had to serve. I shot right back at him that I never had to serve, but felt serving my country was better than any occupational choice I could have made. Whether you like that, agree with it or not, I respect that opinion, and you can be more respectful for sure. I think the thing that pissed me off the most is that <clears throat> when I was no longer useful to the pastor of the church that I had faithfully attended and served, then all the contact ceased. And that's a big thing with the IFB, and my mom uses the, the, um, the, um, uh, <laughs> why am I struggling here? Uh, the Dr. Seuss book, Girl of the Turtle, if you're familiar, 
about this turtle that's on the bottom pile of all these other, I don't know if they're all turtles, but all these other animals are piled on top of him. And he keep and they keep piling on. They're trying to see something or something. And they keep piling on. And he keeps saying, "Guys, I, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this." Another piles on. Another piles on. And eventually, he runs with turtle species, and the whole thing collapses. The whole multi-level marketing scam collapses. Why? Because you're the turtle couldn't handle anymore. The little guy on the bottom. I'm not trying to call this person a little guy or on the bottom. None of that. But at some point in the IFB, we've all been on the bottom. And to get to the top. You've got to do a lot of despicable things, and you've got to be a really shitty person. It's just, that's just the facts. And um, I like that this person is saying, like, hey, look, I didn't bend to their will. And even though I worked hard and served, when they were done with me, they were done with me. And that is one of the biggest pet peeves I have with the IFB and a lot of cult movements is you just use people up. They're people. They have worth. They have value. They're a human being. It's another human being person that's living this life alongside you, and all of a sudden, because they stop doing the things that bring you value, all the things that used to bring, that they did that previously brought you value, are of no effect. That's bullshit. That's terrible. You're a bad human being. Pastor showed his true colors. I've heard from other former staff members, my dad included, I'm sure, how the pastor made another male staff member cry during a staff meeting. Yes, I heard that story as well. I remember his former staff member... Um, had physically bullied one of my sons to the point he lashed out at the adults and other kids. The worst bully was the pastor's number one son. That is, I went to college with him, absolutely a bully. Um, and the person said, of course, asked that I keep it anonymous, or better yet, call me Larry Hefner. So, that's Larry Hefner's story, a.k.a. someone who shall not be named. Here's another story. Um, and, and again, I don't mean to, to run through these too quickly, but I want to tell as many as I can. And um, I'm trying to live in my commentary. I'm not doing a great job of it, but I promise you I'm trying. My family was introduced to, to Oz Anderson in 1985. Hey, it was a good year. By a local pastor, they respected greatly. My parents were young Christians at the time. Excuse me. And thought the best thing to do was everything that the preacher said. This particular pastor was not like all the other IFB pastors. He truly was genuine. I believe that, and I think he had the best of intentions. Years later, his eyes were open, and he came out of the movement. Dad attended pastor school in March of 1985, and on the advice of his pastor, moved to Chicago. That summer to start school. I don't remember much <clears throat> excuse me, about that time, except that it was very hard on the family. Between Yeah, between work, school, and church, we didn't see my dad much. He still feels kind of guilty about that, as most of us do. He said that going uh, there cost, his older, cost him his older children, which I believe... Dad graduated in 1990, and we moved back to my home state of Alabama, where he pastored a couple of churches and was a layman in some. It was during this time the mind of my mother's relationship changed forever because um, I hit puberty, and she no longer viewed me as just her daughter, but rather competition for her husband's affection and attention. So my preteen and teen years were absolute hell. And again, I don't blame that. This isn't to say anything for or against anyone, but I, I have a hard time blaming that on her mother just because I'm not saying her mother was another wrong. She surely was for that type of mindset. But the way the IFB works, it pits people against one another very uh, easily. And um, it doesn't surprise me. Not, I'm not diminishing it, but it doesn't surprise me that this happened. Um, excuse me. By my senior year in high school, Dad had left the ministry because he couldn't deal with some of the things that were going on in the IFB church. My parents almost divorced over this because my mother was such a staunch believer in everything Jack Kyle said. She verbally abused both he and I, and her hatred for me grew even more because my dad and I remained close while their relationship was strained. 
When it came time for me to pick a college, I was told, <clears throat> excuse me, by my mother that Hiles was my only option. See you there. I would not receive any help or support if I chose another school. At the time, I was under the impression that Dad was leaving my mother, so I didn't mention college to him. He had enough going on. I wanted to go to college. I wanted the experience. I wanted to get away from my mother, so I resigned myself to Hiles Anderson. I arrived on campus in September of 1998. My mother knew a lot of the staff. At, at first, it was a comfort to me. I've been there. My parents were very heavily involved, and um, a lot of the staff knew them, so they knew me by proxy, and I thought that was a good thing. It was not. <laughs> my first year, I made a lot of friends. That's probably the only part I don't regret, but almost immediately, I began to see things that just didn't make sense to me. I started noticing that men were much more important than women. I didn't understand why it wasn't okay to go to Walmart alone. <laughs> But it was okay to be dropped off in the city of Chicago for hours on end without a cell phone or any way to communicate with anyone. Exactly. I started to see that this place was not like what it was when my parents were here. I began to talk openly about wanting to go home. I was asked by the dean of women's assistant if I had a boyfriend and if he had, if he was the reason, and if maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, they needed to make sure I cut off contact with them. Anything to keep that paycheck coming. I was going to Bible classes, uh, like the one that Larry Smith taught, where women were routinely referred to as bitches, and men were encouraged to call them that. Doesn't surprise me that's Larry Smith to a T. I was only 18 years old and didn't really understand everything I was experiencing. I just knew it didn't seem right. By the end of my first year, I decided, excuse me, that I was not going to return. Good for you. I was making plans to get a job and move in with a friend of mine that summer. My mother did not want me, want me home. She and my dad had mended their relationship while I was... Well, I had been gone, so she used her connections at the college, it's terrible, and had staff members calling me several times a week, practically bullying me because I did not return. These staff members would say anything from, if I didn't return, God would kill me, doesn't surprise me. If I didn't return, I might lose my family. And I was a back, and that she was a backslidden person. These staff members would, um, sorry, we got off track there. Even the great Jack Scott called my house. What a, what a privilege. Finally, in late September 1999, I succumbed to the pressure and returned to Hal Anderson for a second year. But I was miserable from the moment I walked off the plane, and I would cry every single day. That doesn't surprise me. That's a, kind of a sad ending to the story. But again, it highlights what was going on and what still goes on in the IFB. The, the mission, the goal, the, the soul saved, the, whatever it is that the pastor's trying to do, the chancellor's trying to do, is much more important than you as a human being. That's my takeaway. And you may have your own takeaways or have to have some, <clears throat> excuse me, something not supportive to say to that. I get it. But that's your story. Oops. I don't, I don't, <laughs> it was a woman, but I think that was pretty obvious. But that's your story. And, um, yeah, that's my takeaway. It, it just, you are not important. The mission is important. But this, this isn't the Navy SEALs. This isn't the Marine Corps. This is supposed to be religion. Uh, another story. This is a brief one, but this is a good one. So I can remember one year around 2003-2006 in that window, we were at youth conference in Hammond, and Westboro was there protesting. I remember that as well. So I think it was more between maybe 2004-2005. Could have been 2000. No, no. I think it was 2006. Um, because this was, uh, if I remember right, this, this was for a youth conference. This was when they had yeah, I said youth conference. So this was when we had just finished, Jack Scott had just finished having the new building built. The people who ran the skits were making fun of them and generally just trying to make it seem like we were better than them. One of the days, a few people from our church actually went out there and was basically argued with them. Looking back, I honestly don't see 
how we didn't realize that we were essentially the same group. And this is just a, a, a snippet here, but I like that. That's a good point. The IFB and Westboro Baptist, while Westboro Baptist, I think, may be a little more, um, uh, what's the right word here? They may be a little more outright with their tactics and, you know, their signs and showing up at veterans' funerals. They're a little more pushy, but the ideologies are entirely the same thing. Uh, another story here, this was a little bit longer. We've got a few more here that I definitely want to get to. Uh, I'm on page 10 of 28, so <laughs> that tells you where we're at. I got convicted for having, um, hang on, no, no, no. Okay, so he's talking about, um, let's see here. So he's talking about one of his former pastors who got convicted for having a teenage sex ring. The FBI caught the dude along with tons of uh, shit on his computer. Pastors claimed it must be a setup because this is not even possible. Well, it was on his personal computer, and the assistant pastor admitted to it. He came to my church to cleanse our building. He was huge into spiritual warfare. Dude was crazy. He made me tell him every horror movie, and this is before he was convicted, but every horror movie I've watched, I lied and said Gremlins. He told me since I watched Gremlins, demons are attached to me because of that movie. This I know who this is. Uh, this is um, Jonas Moses, and what's funny, I never had any direct dealings with him, but um, good people uh, who were at some point members of his family, I've talked with them, and they have confirmed a lot of craziness that this guy was up to. My oldest brother, uh, so we're talking, again, we're back at, you know, Jonas saying like, hey, you know, what's, uh, what's, hey, Milo, relax, sitting down, sir. Sitting down. Thank you. <clears throat> so, again, we're back to talking about this this interview of, hey, what, what horror movies have you watched, and how can I pretend to tell you that these were, uh, um, you know, what horror movies have you watched, and how can I pretend to tell you that, you know, now they've affected you because of demonology. Um, my oldest brother, rattled off every single movie he'd ever watched, my, the, the guy, Jonas Moses, was like, wow, Satan pretty much owns you. You're one of his. <laughs> um, he was one of those guys that believed anything wrong with you, a demon was attached to you. He did this ceremony where you confused your dark and sexual, confessed your dark and sexual sins to him. He would then have you close your eyes and imagine you were putting that demon in a door, and you lock the door. You throw away the key and paint the door with the blood of Jesus. I'm sorry. You can't make this shit up. These people are wacko. He said, if you didn't discard the key and paint the door, the demon had free range over you. I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. I was in a meeting with Eric Capace. He said, if you ever viewed porn, God could never use you. There's so much to say on that. I'm going to make some people mad. So I'm not going to get into intensely in depth with, in depth with it. Um, but that's bullshit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so his response to Eric saying, uh, "If you've used porn, if you watch porn, God can never use." You. So, okay, okay, let's just, let's just do this. Let's be biblical, okay? If you've used, okay, Eric Capaci, which I hope that Eric is doing better now. He maybe may not be. If you if you viewed porn, which is men and women, or men and men, and women and women, whatever donkey show, whatever you want. If you viewed porn, God can never use you. Right? Right? Okay. But what about David? What about the person who was an ad 
adulterous murderer, God used him pretty hardcore, right? What about Moses? What about, again, all these stories, Old and New Testament. Paul, Paul Saul slash Paul was stoning Christians. He was killing Christians. And God used him. But I tell you what, if you went on the internet onto the porn hubs, God's not going to use you. Sorry, man, it doesn't apply. Um, so, then here we go. You know the McCurdy's, ha, huh? who doesn't in the IFB world? Their youngest son. <laughs> okay, I'm not, I'm not going to say that, but his girlfriend, now fiance, came to her room crying. She tells her roommate that she feels guilty for doing sexual acts with him, but he makes me do things. He says we have to, and if I don't, he'll get us both in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, I have to stay with him because we've already done things, and that's a big dynamic in the IFB. And, and I shouldn't say just the IFB. I love my Timmy Tebow, but it's a big dynamic in purity culture. That isn't talked about. Purity culture likes it to be just that. Just purity culture. You're pure, you get married, you have sex. And that's it. There's so much. Like, that is, that is it. That is just this part. Just a little tiny top crust. Like the Earth's crust layer. Right? There's all this shit underneath it. Sorry, I can't see my band. All tons of it. And most of it involves all kinds of premarital stuff. Not just sex. Sex, porn, all of it. And I'm not trying to generalize or make it sound dirty or nasty because I'm not seeing it that way. But that's how it that's how it comes out to those of us that were part of purity culture. And so when you're so heavily involved in purity culture, the amount of guilt that comes with any type of sexual act, and I'm not going to get into it. Again, I already gave you guys the warning. I'm not going to get into it in great detail. But the amount of guilt that comes with any type of sexual act is just, it'll bury you. Mentally, physically, emotionally, it will it will put you under. Why? Because now that you've had sex or now that you've done whatever you've done, now you can only be with that one person. What happens? You can only be with that person. So you can't be with anyone else because that's your person now. No, that's ridiculous. But that's how it works. And that's terrible. And that's ruined so many people's lives. Anyways, so at this point, I'm about to contact the college. A pizza delivery guy from Hiles said he knew Dave Lutz. He said he had a meeting and would talk to him about it. He told Lutz everything. Lutz says, the McCurdy's, no, they're good people. They never do that. He recently pr proposed to her. She will end up marrying him. And again, I know that story a little bit helps us culture, but that's the truth. That's how it works. And let's be honest. It really um, uh, it really works to the advantage when it comes to, to, to men, to males. It really does. Because they have all this say-so, and the girls don't. And it's terrible. So another story, and this one is really, this is really rough, um, and I, I'm going to try to read this as gently and delicately as possible because, I, again, I'm not trying to identify these people, and this person did not want to be identified, but um, this person and their family is someone, and this won't identify them, that I have known since, I don't know, pre-adolescence, 10, maybe seven or eight years old, I've known this family, and um, this is a tough one for me to read, but it's a story that needs to be told. So my mom tells the story of my dad, a very successful law enforcement officer, going to church with his partner uh, one day. It was a Baptist church. My dad grew up Catholic. Shortly thereafter, he and my mother joined said church. I remember going to Awana there, and Awana is um, the IFB version of Cub Scouts. My dad went that year for the first time to pastor school. I like to jokingly say that he had his first sip of HAC Kool-Aid, even though it's not really that funny. He came home a different man, surrendered to full-time Christian service, he called it. 
My mom was a physical therapist, and she came home from work one day to find that my dad had broken all her records and ripped apart her eight tracks and put them all in a pile with her pants and was having a bonfire. He also took a hammer to the TV, the one I watched Sesame Street on every morning. My dad then proceeded to quit his job, convinced my mom to quit her job, and while my grandparents watched horrified, loaded us all into one U-Haul, this is going to hit me, <laughs> and headed off to Howell's Anderson College for 1989 fall semester. He was going to seminary to be a preacher. Now that I'm older, looking back, I mostly want to know why my mom just thought all of this was normal, or okay, or acceptable. Why didn't she call the cops on this crazy ass and have him committed? Why didn't she leave him? Why didn't she tell this crazy ass to go to Hausner's College by himself? We could have stayed with my grandparents and started over. I often wonder why she went along for the ride. Was it blind love, or did she drink the Kool-Aid too? I tend to think it's the latter, since she's still going to that crazy church. And I'm crying because I know who this is, and I know the rest of the story, and it is awfully tragic. But just look at, just look at those careers. Law enforcement officer, however you feel about law enforcement, I understand, but it, is, it can be a very, very rewarding career. And a, a, a physical therapist, there's money there. And there, there's a family to be taken care of. And instead of, and I'm not speaking ill of this person, but instead of doing what you would normally do and just continuing on in your life, in your occupation, taking care of your family... I understand to an extent. Like, man, this is the Lord. This is what God wants. This is the Lord's will. This is the great calling, right? Or the great commission. This is the great commission. I've got to go. I've got to serve the Lord. And however, they serve, I know who this is. So I will identify them by, by the type of ministry that they chose. But however you decide to serve the Lord, that's it. Like, this is the, the great calling of God in your life. But it's not. It's not. You put your family through hell. You put your family through poverty. And again, I don't want to speak ill of this person. And I, I don't, I don't, please don't think this the wrong way. I'm not trying to speak ill of this individual. I want to speak ill of the IFB and the cultish movement that says, doesn't just say, just propagates and pushes this on people that now this is God's will for your life. No, it, it's not about God's will. It's about taking care of your family. And again, if that isn't against this person, this father, this mother, it's against the, the movement. Absolutely. Another one. When I was on the fence about leaving school and questioning everything, I was taught, I had an experience in church ed class that really pushed me over the edge and made me, uh, made my mind up for me. So church ed was required every single year for the guys. Every dude had to take it every single year. And we, um, I flunked out of it a couple times because uh, I was financially withdrawn. <laughs> couldn't pay my bills. And so I didn't pass the class because I couldn't show up to class because I got pulled from the class because I didn't have the money to pay for the class. Um... We were required to attend a church staff meeting as part of our church ed class. Pastor Scott was leading the meeting and told a group of assistant pastors he wanted a big day that Sunday. He looked at John Francis, their bus director, and told him, John, I need a big bus turnout this Sunday. How much money do you need? <laughs> John replied, how big of a day do you want? To me, in that moment, it summed up the IFB movement Excuse me, in one short conversation. It wasn't about souls or loving people or any of that nonsense. It was about money and numbers. If it were about getting as many people as possible with the gospel, there would be no budget. It would be about reaching families. It was a business. And this is actually someone who's been on a podcast. And so 
I said to this person, I said, hey, do you have any, you know, any stories from when you were at Alexander Center, First Baptist Church of Hammond, and anything you want to share? And he said, you mean like the time Bob Hooker walked up to me at, at Christmas Lights, which was a big, big event for us, and said, son, this was after this person had performed. This person was on a date with his girlfriend, who at some point he would intend to marry, and he had just sung in front of a big audience of his peers and done well. He has a great voice. Bob said Bob Hooker was in, uh, dean of student life or dean of men, Alan Anderson. Bob's a real asshole. Son, in five years you're going to be an alcoholic, a drug addict, or both. And walked away. That's all he said to him. He didn't know this person growing up. He didn't know this person's family well. He All he knew was he saw him perform on stage, and that's what he decided. Or like when I went to Scott for counseling, Jack Scott, because I had sex with a girl, and he went off on a tangent about how it's easy to get lost in thinking about the women in the choir and their tits and asses and wondering what their nipples looked like. And then he asked me to describe in detail what the girl and I did. That's classic grooming behavior. That's Jack Scott to the T. Or when I almost got turned in by my own mother for going to see Wicked, which I'd already bought tickets for, but then couldn't go last minute because she found out and she and said she would be sure the college knew and I'd lose my tour scholarship. He was on tour for Alabama to college. Or when my dad got fired and had to pick up his whole family and move several states away because he was a pastor and got caught smoking. Good for him for smoking. Or when Cindy Scott fired my mom because she was convinced my mom was after Jack Scott. <laughs> That's hilarious. Or when I was told that every time I had an impure thought, my potential to be used by God went down and too many would make me useless. So again, let me, let me, let me put some more thought into that. An impure thought is, and there's no excuse, like no one's saying like, I don't want to get too heavy onto rape culture because it's not, it's, a, it's absolutely a thing and it is an incredibly horrific thing that in Western culture is really, it's horrific. That's the best word for it, uh, in my opinion. But an impure thought is looking at a woman and thinking about how, really just thinking about how beautiful she is in a sexual way. Whether you're okay with that, whether you're not, that doesn't mean you're acting on it. Okay, that doesn't uh, condone any type of um, physically uh, physical and discretionary actions. Okay, that makes sense. So, and again, I'm not trying to, to push anything aside or say anything that would make anyone think that doing something physically or mentally or emotionally to a woman that would be unkind or uh, sexually explicit without their consent is okay. Let me make that very clear. But again, an impure thought is, it doesn't even have to be a real person. It could be a cartoon character. And looking at that cartoon character and saying how beautiful she is. That means that his potential is diminished every time. And as a teenager or a young adult who has had their sexuality intensely suppressed, that's going to come up every few seconds. It's just the nature of the, of the beast there. Or he says, when I was told that not parting my hair made people doubt that I was even saved. But if I could say one thing, one kind of takeaway, that as I read these and look through these and kind of digest this along with you, we're doing this at the same time, um, because again, like I said, I haven't read these in, it's been months, <laughs> no, probably a year or so since I've read through these, and I was, I was, I'm so grateful, by the way, to everyone that submitted a story, um, and if you have a story that, whether it's like one of these or maybe it's different, but it's about your time in the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement, we want to hear it.
And if you're okay with it, we'd like to tell it. We'll leave your name out. That's okay. But the goal of this episode, the goal of this podcast, this specific episode of Not Your Mother's Podcast is to empower. Is for you to hear these stories and say, well, it's a lot like my story. I'm not, I'm not crazy. <laughs> or that's a lot like my story. I can, I can, you know, I recognize that in myself. And that's a lot like my story. And man, maybe I should find one of these groups that they're, they're talking about. And not, not so much to get involved, just hear other people's stories. Because I, my opinion is this, and, and therapy is something I realize this a lot. My opinion is that the more that you hear other people's stories and recognize yourself in those stories, the more you understand that while our upbringing or our induction to the IFB or our experience therein or our ministry involvement with the IFB, while it was all insane, nutso, just wild stuff doesn't mean that you can't be a normal person or you can't be your version of normal. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. That was the goal of these stories. Not to exploit anyone, well, except Jack Scott, Bob Hooker, etc. Exploit the shit out of them. That's fine. But like, not to exploit anyone, anyone who's told their story, but to say, hey, there's other people with stories that are like yours and at the end of the day, what these stories come out to, for me, what these stories come out to is the IFB, the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement, that cult, and other cults like it, they're out there to use and abuse you. And then when they're done, they don't care. You're cast by the wayside. You don't matter. And the whole time you're there, you really don't matter. It's just what level of work you can do, money you can give, effort you can put forth, people you can get on a bus, asses you can get in a seat in a pew at church, that's what matters to these pastors. That's what matters to these church leaders. That's what matters to these bus captains. That's that's all that matters to them. It's numbers and money. Like that that one person said, it was a guest on the podcast, it's numbers and money. That's what it's about. Even the small churches, that's what it's about. That is the IFB in a nutshell. Numbers and money. So, and I know there's a lot more to that, and we've talked about all different kinds of aspects, but I hope you enjoyed this episode of Not Your Mother's Podcast. Please, 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 if you have a story to tell, reach out to us. Me personally, the podcast itself, you can find me at Stuart M. Hardy on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. You can find, the, obviously, the podcast here, whether it's on YouTube or wherever you're listening to it. Look for me. Look for the podcast. If you have a story to tell, um, we want to hear from you. We want to tell that story, again, with all discretion in mind, uh, keeping it as anonymous as you'd like. But we definitely want to tell your story if you want it told. And um, I do want to say this. We're, we're not out to make a buck. You guys were super, super gracious to help us uh, get this piece of equipment. Now I saw a commissionary, right? <laughs> Stop by our table in the back. Look at the foreign money and give us some stuff because we're really poor because we decided to do this thing. No, no, no. So that I'm really grateful that you guys were, were so kind and so generous to gift us this. Um, but there are other uh, people out there. There's other... Uh, people exposing and telling the truth. I'm so excited for that. But there are some people who, you know, want to make a buck off you. And that's fine. Make a buck where you want to make a buck. But our background and where we come from and our past, enough people have made enough bucks off us already. So, um, this is, there's never been, I've never made a dime from this podcast. I don't want to. I think that takes the purity out of it. If that's, there I am, purity culture. I think that takes the purity out of it. I really do. Um, if it comes to the point where we can do that, great, cool. And honestly, if I could get paid to do this podcast and that paid my bills, that would be amazing. And then I could just do this podcast full time. And we could have 
episodes, you know, every week instead of every two years. <laughs> but right now, this is where we're at. So anyways, all that to say, I'm grateful, always, always grateful for anything that you guys have to say, any input that you have to give. If you want us to tell your story, we want to tell it, again, with your discretion in mind. But this was an example of some of the stories that have been sent to us that I think can help people. That's all we're here to do. We're not the IFB. We're not here to trod you down. We're here to lift you up. So thank you so much for staying tuned for this entire episode of Not Your Mother's Podcast.